Amen. Amen. The, the psalmist, after declaring and saying that the, the heavens declare God's glory, he, he, he talks about how God's word, how God's word declares his glory. Here's the rest of Psalm 19 that we began this morning with. Uh, the teachings of the Lord are perfect. They give new strength. And I say new strength. Okay, that was really, okay, let, let me just tell you something here. Anybody here like to cook? All right, all right. Uh, would you rather cook for hungry people or not hungry people? All right. Hungry people, all right. And, and, and I'll tell you, I, I, I want to cook today. You know, and, and, and I'm not too proud to beg, all right? You know, I, I don't want to have a dialogue today. I want to have a conversation with you guys, all right? And, and, and so I need you to participate with me, all right? You know, if something is good, we're going to say amen. Let's hear you say that. Amen. 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 Let it be so, right? Okay, good. You guys are good. We're good. Okay, let's do this again. The teachings of the Lord are perfect. They give new strength. Say new strength. There you go. The rules of the Lord can be trusted. They make plain people wise. The orders of the Lord are right. They make people happy. The commands of the Lord are pure. They light up the way. Respect for the Lord is good. It will last forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are completely right. They are worth more than even the purest gold. They are God's word. They are, are sweeter than honey, even the finest honey. By them your servant is warned. Keeping them brings great reward. People cannot see their own mistakes. Uh, the Bible can point those out for us. Forgive me for my secret sins. Keep me from the sins of pride. Don't let them rule me. Then I can be pure and innocent of the greatest of sins. I hope my words and thoughts please you. Lord, you are my rock, the one who saves me. Pray with me. Father God, we, we humbly come into your presence. God, we stand in awe of your majesty, of your power, of your glory, of your holiness. We stand in awe of your constant pursuit of people like us of your unfailing love. And God, we know that you are everything that you say you are. You are good, you're kind, you're trustworthy, you are excellent, you are praiseworthy, you are true. And God, I pray today, Lord, you just help us to hear your word. God, I, I pray today you, you, you help me to say what you want me to say in, in the way that you want me to say it, God. I, I pray you pour out your presence on us. I, I pray you consume anything right now that's not of you. God, I pray you tear down the walls that the enemy wants us to put between us and your word so your word cannot do its job and its work. And God, I pray that your word falls on fertile soil today and it produces a crop 60, 100 times of what is planted. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Amen. Amen. Maple Grove, welcome to two-thirds week. Yay! What is two-thirds week? Woo! All right. All right. Uh, what is two-thirds week? Well, it's a concept, like I mentioned last week, that is pattern after an event. I got the experience while uh, in the Navy on board nuclear submarines. Uh, what we would do when we were halfway through a patrol and we knew we were halfway home, we would have what we called halfway night. And we would break out into the coolers. We'd break out the lobster. We'd break out the prime rib. And we'd eat like kings that night. We would, uh, we would play all kinds of fun games. We would play, my favorite game was when we would have a trim party. And what that meant, the XO took everybody off watch. I shared this last week, but I'll share it again. You know, and everybody off watch would run to the fourth part of the submarine. And then the officer of the watch up in, uh, had a, the dive officer rather would have to pump water from the ballast tanks to keep the sub level. And then we, we'd run all the way back to the aft of the submarine and he'd have to pump water again and we'd run back and forth. We did EAB, EAB ratios, emergency air breathing ratios, where we put these masks on that you can only breathe when you plug into something in the wall. We'd run who could win the race from the fore to the back of the submarine. Don't you feel safe that that's going on out there? Uh, but, but bottom line is that two-thirds week, is a, it's a time to celebrate. And that's what we're doing. We're celebrating. Uh, uh, we're celebrating that we are two-thirds of the way through our, our journey through the Bible. We're celebrating, like you saw a flash on the screen, that, that for 21 weeks we, we have made our journey through the Old Testament. It, it's, a time to, it's time to celebrate the, you know, the things that we've learned, the, the, the people that we've met, and most importantly, to celebrate how this journey in God's Word has actually impacted our life. It's also a time to celebrate and look forward to what's coming, Right? The arrival of God in the flesh and our 10-week study in the New Testament that's about to begin next week. Yeah, the king is about to be born. And finally today, two-thirds week, is a time to remind ourselves of why we began this journey through the Bible, through the story to begin with. My main text today is in Nehemiah chapter 8, and I'm calling this conversation, and their joy was very great. Question, would you, would you like those three words to be said of you? Would you like those three words to be true for you? That your joy is not just great, but that your joy is very great. Would you like those three words to describe your life? I mean, if someone came up to you and said, okay, um, right now, you know, Bob, you know, right now, Todd, right now, Alan, right now, Sonia, you know, Give me three words to describe your life right now. Would, would the words very great joy uh, be the words that we would pick to say, that's my life right now. Understand, joy is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. I mean, God is the most joyful being in the universe. And the message he has for us in Christ is good news of, of great joy, good news of mega joy. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, we see an event go down. Uh, an event that was not initiated by the leaders. It was not initiated by Nehemiah, Ezra, or Zerubbabel. You, you see, it wasn't their idea. It was the people's idea. And, and Maple Grove, this event that took place 2,500 years ago, it's a, it's a perfect picture of why we're doing the study of the story through the Bible. And, and B, uh, this event in Nehemiah chapter 8, will reveal to us the path that we need to walk on such that 
Those three words, very great joy, would actually become the adjectives that would describe our lives. Now, there are three points in your notes. Here's the first one, all right? Here, here, Nehemiah chapter 8. All, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And I've always loved that concept of, of God's people coming together as one. It, it, it's, a, it's a picture of unity. And, and like I said earlier, this coming together was not initiated by the leaders who probably would have gathered them at the temple and not in the middle of a public square. So here these people are gathered, thousands of them. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. You see, God's people knew that this rebuilding of the walls that was completed just six days ago, they knew that without a doubt it was a movement of God among them, that only God could pull off something that big, and therefore they just felt compelled to hear his voice. We, we got to hear, we know God is moving, we got to hear, what does God have to say to us? So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Huge crowd, thousands of men and women and young people old enough to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, you know, six, seven hours, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And the people listened. How did they listen? They listened attentively. Why? Because they knew, hey, they, they knew that, you know what, when, Mo, uh, when Ezra reads this, it's the very same thing as if God would thunder with his voice from the heavens. They knew that God's word was actually God speaking to his people. Ezra, the teacher of law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood a bunch of guys <laughs> whose names, because of time, I'm not going to try to pronounce, right? Yeah, you know, that's a lie, you know. I could never say one of them, you know. Um, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, understand the people gathered that day that they wanted to hear. They needed to hear from God. He said they knew that without him, they would not even be where they were back home within their walled city once again. In Maple Grove, one of the reasons we began this journey back in January was because we want it and we need it to hear from God. Uh, we know that God is alive and well and always moving. And we want to say, what do you have to say to us, God, through your word? The book Multiply, this will come up on your screen and it's also in your notes. It's a great book by Francis Chan and David Platt. It says, you know, if we really believe that the Bible is the word of God, then it should be much more than a book that we are familiar with. It ought to be shaping every aspect of our existence. It should guide the decisions we make in life. If God is the designer and creator of the world, if he made us and placed us on this earth, and if he's taken the time to tell us who he is, who we are, and how this world operates, then what could be more important to us than the Bible? Answer, you know, nothing. Nothing. You see, you know, to hear these words, to, 
To read these words is the very same thing as if God ripped open the heavens and we heard his voice, like if he ripped on the roof right now, and we heard God speaking his word, it's the very same thing to read the words from this book. Paul puts it like this in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture, and when Paul wrote that, he was talking about the New Testament, about the stories that we've been studying for the past 21 weeks. All scripture is what? It's inspired by God. It's God-breathed. And it's useful. How is it useful? To teach us what is true. And, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Have I ever done that for you? you know, make you realize, wow, that's not really right. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses us to prepare and equip his people to do what? Every good work. I mean, if we want to be prepared for the stuff God wants us to do right, and, and we know that all of us, according to Ephesians 2.10, right, that, that we are God's workmanship, that we are created anew in Christ Jesus to do what? The good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared the work already, and the way we prepare to do that work is right here. You go, how do I do what God wants me to do? Right here. Right here, right? It prepares and it equips us. And check out what Paul said that really underscore the importance of, of hearing God's word in, in Romans 10, 17. He says what? Faith comes from what? It comes from hearing. Yeah. Hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. How do we have faith from hearing? And faith is really important because the Hebrew writer said this, right? Without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God. So today we celebrate. We celebrate that for the last 21 weeks, like God's people gathered in that public square 2,500 years ago, we celebrate that for the last 20 weeks we have gathered in this room and we have heard the word of God poured down on us. Uh, and we celebrate the stories of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Joseph, of Moses and Aaron, of Joshua and Caleb, of Ruth and, and Boaz, of David and Goliath, of Esther and Mordecai. We celebrate the story of, of Elijah on the mountain against the false prophets. We celebrate the story of David taking out Goliath. We celebrate the story of Daniel, a guy in his 80s surviving in a lion's den, and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in a fiery furnace walking with God. See, hearing, hearing God's word is so important. Also, Nehemiah chapter 8, we read, we see the next word, because hearing's good. It's awesome. And so is the next word, understand. Nehemiah continues, the Levites, and a bunch of other names I can't say, um, then instructed the people in the law while everyone reigned in their places. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Wow. See the picture? Tens of thousands, men and women and young people, and they're weeping. They're weeping because they understand God's word. More than likely weeping because they're realizing 
how much they had failed God, how much they had disobeyed God, and how much they had failed to follow God over the years. But Nehemiah's like, stop weeping. He's like, hey guys, we didn't gather here today to, to talk about and mourn over our shortcomings and our failures. He says, no. He says, no, we gathered here today to celebrate our God. We gather here today to celebrate his majesty, to celebrate his might. We gather here today to celebrate the mercy of our God. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with the feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with the people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before God. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too, quiet the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, don't weep. This is a sacred day. I love verse 12. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festival meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy. Why? Because they had heard God's word and what? Understood them. Understood them. Why are we doing this journey through the story? Not only to hear God's word, but so that we can understand God's word, so that we can understand more of God's word. I mean, there, there's really little value in, in hearing if, if we don't understand. So today we celebrate that we understand more of God's word than we did nearly six months ago. Question, does anyone out there this morning understand more about God, more about his word, more about the Old Testament than when you began this journey six months ago? Anybody understand more? Do you understand more? So do I. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that, that we, that we heard more and we, we, we understand more about God. Man, I know I've learned so much. You know, I knew God was patient, but man, he is really patient with his people, isn't he? Because they're messed up like you and I are messed up. But he keeps forgiving them every time. And, and listen, the goal of this increased understanding is not simply for us to know more about God, right? So we can, we can win uh, the Bible Bowl quiz. No, that we would know him. Not know about him, but that we would know him. And yeah, I'm pretty confident most of us have a better understanding of the big picture of the overriding theme of the Bible. I understand that the core message, the heart of the Bible is God's passionate pursuit. It's passionate, isn't it? Man, it's just passion. He just keeps coming. He's like Marlin looking after Nemo, right? Man, I'm just going, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm going to find my son no matter what it takes. I'll swim to Sydney, okay? Sort of God's passionate pursuit of a prodigal people. Man, we've seen that theme played out over and over again during the last 22 weeks. As we've watched God, the sovereign king of the universe, time and 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 time again, doing whatever it takes in spite of our sins and our rebellion, doing whatever it takes to bring us back to life with him. In fact, we see this theme being born in the, in the very beginning. I understand the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis, in Genesis 3, in Genesis, the first three chapters, we see the beginning of this storyline that will be played out again and again, that was played out the entire 20 weeks of our study. A story about a great and merciful God, a prodigal and rebellious people, and a cunning and tenacious enemy. 
And understand, both God and this enemy have a plan and purpose for our lives. Everyone, both of them do. Jesus said in John chapter 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, at least part of it is, second half. But both are true. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. The question, what is God's purpose and plan for my life and yours? It's that we may have life and have it to the full. And that's true, not just for Christ followers, but for everyone who's breathing in this world, right? And Satan's plan and purpose is what? Only to steal only to kill, only to destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy what? The full life that Jesus bought for us on a bloodstained cross. That's his plan. God wants to give us life, and Satan wants to take that life away. And that battle went on for the 39 books of the Old Testament. And listen, Satan's strategy has not changed much since the garden. I understand, if we have an enemy, we've got to know a strategy, right? How's he going to do this thing? And I understand, Satan's strategy for stealing and killing and destroying the life that God has for us is by trying to hang a question mark. Did God really say? By hanging a question mark over God's instructions and over God's intentions. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I understand when Satan tries to lead us away from God's best, he, he's not, he doesn't do it obviously, right? He has to be subtle. He has to be slick. He has to scheme. Because if we really understood, if we really understood what was available to us, if we walk with God in truth and obedience and harmony, no snake could ever slither up on his belly, right, and lead us away from that. Did God really say and listen, everything in our lives that is dysfunctional and not right is a result of the wrong answer to that question. Did God really say, is the Bible really God's word? Did God really say to turn the other cheek? Did God really say? I understand Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy, so he, he puts a question mark over God's word and over God's promises so that we will doubt God. And he knows that if he can get us to doubt God, he can get us to disobey God. And if he can get us to disobey God, he will lead us away from the life that God has for us, and then he will accomplish exactly what he's trying to accomplish, steal, kill, and destroy the purposes of God in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our businesses, in our sexuality, and in our spirituality, and the list goes on. But as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, because we're, we read the Word, because we're hearing the Word, because we're understanding the Word, we are not unaware of His schemes. We know what He's up to. Uh, we know that he's trying to put a question mark over God's instructions and a question mark over God's intentions. Come on, Eve, 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 Eve. God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because if you do, you'll, it'll open your eyes and you'll be like him. In other words, Eve, God doesn't want you to eat this because God is holding out on you. He's holding back from you. Eve, you cannot trust God's intentions for your life. I mean, what were God's intentions for Adam and Eve at the time? To eat from any tree they wanted, there could have been thousands except one, okay? To live naked and unashamed with each other forever, that's pretty good, right? And, and to have 
unhindered intimacy with God in a garden paradise. I mean, think about it, guys. Naked and unashamed, right? Okay, think about it. They were experiencing life as it should and could be, and somehow Satan convinced them, hey, God is ripping you off here. You see, Satan tried to, to make God into a God of limitations when our God is a God of liberty. Eat from every tree you want except one. You see, when God puts limits on us, it's always for our protection. So this morning we celebrate, this morning we celebrate the greater understanding that we have of God's Word. The greater understanding we have of our great and merciful God our, our God is more powerful than we can imagine. He, he, his patience is unlimited. He, uh, we have a greater understanding that, you know what, God is going to keep his promises no matter what. We have a greater understanding that God will walk with us through the fiery furnace, that he will slay our giants. Yet today we celebrate that we understand more fully where life can be found. We sang the song, right? In him, right? You're all we need, Jesus. We, we more clearly understand that, hey, we got this enemy. You see, it's not just a tree that's in the garden. We're in the middle of the garden, and there's God and there's Satan. God offers us life, and Satan tries to steal that life away from us. But we understand that now. We understand his schemes, and we understand more fully that, you know what? We serve a God that anytime we come back to him, he accepts us. He doesn't step on us. Why are we doing this story? So that we would hear God's word, understand God's word, and finally that we would do God's word. You, you see, the very next day after Ezra had read, had read the, the word from, from noon, from daybreak to noon, and after everybody had broken into small groups so they could understand the word, the very next day people came back for another round. And as they gathered around Ezra and they read the law, the people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They realized, hey, we are actually supposed to be celebrating something right now. We're supposed to be celebrating right now the Feast of Tabernacles. We haven't done that for a long time. See, the Feast of Tabernacles was a time that they would celebrate the fact that, that God had delivered them from bondage and God had provided for them through the desert. And the way they celebrated was they were to go out in the hills and get some branches and build temporary shelters and live in them for seven days. And because God knew that one day they still have their own houses and they'd forget all about their need for God. So, hey, go build these temporary houses so that you could live in them. Verse 17, Nehemiah 8 says, I love it. They hear it, okay, whoa, 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 that's what we're supposed to do? The whole community that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, that's 900 years earlier, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this. And their joy was what? Very great. And why was their joy very great? Not, not only because they heard God's word, which is awesome. Not only because they understood God's word, which is essential, but because they did. They obey God's word, which is transformational. Randy Fries writes in the, his book, The Heart of the Story, obeying God's word, aligning our lives to his plan. Obeying God's word, aligning our lives to his plan brings joy to our lives like nothing else. Jesus said it this way, upper room, right? Wash the feet and all that stuff. And what did Jesus say? Now that you know these things, now that you get it right, cool, cool. You know you're supposed to forgive people, cool, A plus. You'll be blessed if you what? If you, if you do them. And I always love that scene Luke paints in Luke 11. Jesus 
Jesus was saying these things. A, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. How great it would have been. How happy I would have been to be your mom. Jesus goes, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So, so why are we taking this journey through the story? To hear God's word, which is awesome. To understand God's word, which is essential. To do, to obey, to live out, to walk in God's word, which is both transformational and very great joy bringing. And you know what? I'm seeing that happen. I'm seeing people in Maple Grove who are hearing and understanding, starting to do God's word. You know, Bart took 18 new people to Mexico to, uh, to build houses, right? They, if you saw the video, they came back with great joy. Why? Because they, they, they heard and understood that, that we're supposed to help people who don't have homes and care for them. But guess what? When you actually hear and understand and do it, you have great joy. I, I, I have a friend of mine who had some bitterness in his heart, and, and, and he, he, he heard and understood and knew he needed to forgive but he hadn't forgiven yet, but then he took the step to forgive. And you know what I saw on his face the next time we, we met? I saw what? I saw very great joy. You know, there are people in here who they've heard and understood they are supposed to serve, and, and now they're serving. Like, like if you jump back there between services, you're going to see Jimmy Lou. If you know Jimmy Lou, I mean, I love Jimmy Lou. And, and, and she's already serving, but she heard of a need in communion, and she jumps back there during, uh, between services. She's here early, and you know what? She has joy. She has joy because she is serving God. Okay, there's joy when we, when we hear and understand and, and when we do. I, I called a guy this week, and I'm going to be out of town at a convention, and we're having our next 1322. Hey, if you're a dad and want to be a better dad, 6 a.m. here, uh, be at the church. We're helping each other take steps to be the dad we want to be, hold each other accountable. And, and, and I'm not going to be here. I called James Samario, and I said, hey, hey, James, could you fill in? And without hesitation, he said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he, he was excited about it. You know, it, it, there's joy in doing the things of God. I'm asking a, a friend of mine to come up here. It, it, it's Kemper Steele in the house. <laughs> Kemper Steele, come on down. Woo! You're the next contestant. All right. Uh, Kemper Steele is a, is a good friend of mine. And, and we're, we're going to talk and share. He's, he's been in my life group since uh, we started life groups. Grab a seat, my brother. Okay. He can't even spell shy. All right. All right. All right. But so, so Kemp, we already did this one time. Is this working? It's working. Uh, all right. That's great. Thanks for the microphone. You look good today. Hey, you look good today. I, I like that. I like, I like that shirt, man. You like thanks. the shirt. You like the shirt. I play golf. <laughs> okay. Um, but again, you know, you've been here, you've been listening, right. you know, and, and, and I, I want you to, to kind of help everybody understand that, you know, the difference it's made in your life. I know you grew up in the church, hearing God's word and understanding, but the difference it's made in your life when you went from someone who just heard and understood to actually doing and how that's impacted your life. Sure, sure. So, so I guess I'll start with the hearing part. I think this message, um, I didn't know how much this message really hit home until I actually heard it, and I've already heard it now twice. Okay. And Steve said it completely different, I swear, <laughs> um, but, uh, than the first service, but um, um, used different jokes and everything. That's yeah, great. Man, um, so, um, but, uh, but anyway, I, uh, I, I never realized, uh, so I, I mean, I don't think there's, I, I probably could rival with many of you all how much time I've spent in a church since I was a little kid. My, my mom is a retired organist. 
um, and we've bounced around churches um, because of her job. Um, any, I mean, I feel like I spent just as much time in the church than I did in my own home growing up. Um, my dad being an elder and being in the choir, probably more so, not so much because his voice was awesome because my mom made him. Um, and, then, uh, <laughs> and my brother then became like old enough to make the choir, which I thought was funny. You had to be like old enough to make the choir. I like never grew up because I never made the choir. Um, but, uh, and, uh, but, uh, but like we always, I mean, every VBS, every children's program, my mom was, we had to do that. I got baptized and confirmed in the Methodist church when I was in second grade and I was led up by my parents and told to do it. And at that time, and I still do somewhat listen to my parents. And, uh, and, and I listened to my parents, and I, and I did that. And, and I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I can't tell you, even on off days from church, I was in the church because my mom, I had to tag along with her as she rehearsed in the church. And so in terms of hearing the word and being around it, um, I, I think that um, I, I got all of that. I mean I, I, mean, I mean, I definitely was able to hear it a lot. But I think the thing that I wanted to, wanted to stress about the hearing part of it was that... Um, I love my parents very, very much, um, uh, but I, and they provided for me in ways that I could never repay them for in terms of opportunities I got that other people haven't gotten, um, debt that I'm not having right now because of things my parents provided for me financially, college life that I was able to have, and other things as well, benefits as well. But the thing that I, that I didn't hear is, you know, we had, I mean, I had this mom who was so connected to the church for a job and Bibles galore all over the house, but it's not that that word was talked as much inside the house, you know, and that sort of thing. I think that's the thing that I missed out. I mean, when I was growing up, the two things I loved to do were baseball and hang out with my grandma. That's all I wanted to do. Um, and usually those combined because she came to every single one of my games. Um, uh, and so that's all I wanted to do. I mean, I didn't think about, I mean, I did the things they wanted me to do in terms of going to church, but I didn't hear enough of that um, in the house to make it kind of stick and, and so that, that's the hearing part, I guess, right, as well. Right. So I definitely feel like I heard it. Which is a good thing, right? Yeah, which is a good thing. So I thank my parents for putting me in that position to hear it. But, but yeah. And, and when did the transition make? Okay, you're hearing it. Now you're starting to figure out, hey, here's what this means. Here's what this means. And hey, maybe I should take a step and actually do it. And yeah. like the, again, like the impact. So yeah, that's a good call. So I ended up... Uh, uh, probably in college and a little beyond, I ended up going to school here in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. Sorry, Hokie fans. Um, uh, I grew up a Hokie, by the way, in Roanoke, Virginia, and then I went off to UVA and I never go home. Um, so so, I, uh, so I, I went to the University of Virginia, um, and, uh, I'm, um, and, and honestly, at that point, it was in my mind, it was like, now I'm done going to church. I'm broken away from my parents. I'm sort of on my own, you know, which... What does that really mean when you're 18 years old and stuff? And I was like, now I don't have to go to church anymore because my parents aren't making me, so I don't have to do this church thing anymore. That was what I had to do as I was growing, growing up and that sort of thing. And then I met my awesome wife, who's sitting back there, who never will come up on stage here with me, um, even though she should probably be more likely to come up on stage than I am. And she's back there, Julie, wave, wave. Yeah, there she is, right there. She's awesome. Yeah, so, and she's, and her name's Julie, and we have two beautiful kids. Cameron is four years old, and Caroline is 15 months old, and Ms. Glenda's dealing with her right now. Um, so, uh, and, uh, and so, so we, um, I met her in, in, in school at UVA, and, um, uh, and I remember us starting to talk about church, and she also grew up, like, going to church and that sort of thing, and I remember us talking about baptism, and this is when it started, like, clicking and, like, understanding, 
And I remember her telling me something that like kind of still sticks to me today. She was like, so when did you get baptized? And I said, well, you know, my parents took me up in second grade and I even got confirmed and all this stuff. I had no idea what all this stuff meant. In fact, actually, I thought that's what you did to join a church. That's what I thought it was. I thought you became a member by getting baptized. I, like, that was like, I got to do that because my parents want me to be a member of this church. And I remember Julie saying, oh, well, I walked myself up and I made that decision. So like, so when did you make that decision on your own and tell your parents? And I was like, I, what are you talking about? I'm, like, I'm sitting here being like, what, what, like, your parents tell you what to do and you go up to the front, you get sprinkled and it's all good, you know? Like, and then you like wash your hair at the end or something like that. So, um, and she was like, I like went up and I was like, so you were a girl just going up on your own and you like, like what decision? She's like, well, I, I gave myself to Christ and stuff. And I was like, wow. Like I, it just sort of hit me all of a sudden, like that, that's, what, that's what happens, you know what I mean? And, and that like she made that decision on her own and it started making me think like, I didn't make that decision or did I do it wrong? Like what's going on? And so um, I remember hearing that and actually after college, I remember we were going through college life, um, Julie and I not going to church, um, uh, probably doing college things that we regret, but you know, you know, that's, you know and, and now we realize that and that sort of thing as well. But after we graduated, we get married and I would not be here sitting on the stage if it weren't for my wife. And so, I mean, she's the reason why we got into church. And she's the reason why, like, I found Christ. And it makes me, it's a little harder, yeah. So I appreciate that very much. Man. Um, I mean, I, I love her so much. It makes it harder for me, actually. I wish she, like, weren't here because I get more emotional. I talk about her <laughs> here. Um, but I remember um, we started going to this church in Richmond. And even that, she was like, she came home from her first day at teaching school. And she said, guess what? We're going to church on Sunday, and we're already going to Sunday school. And I was like, that's what it took, though, for me to get into I was like, bring me in that. But, but I realized I still was going to have to make decisions on my own, too, right, if I was going to love Christ. I remember we talked to the pastor. We're about to join this church. And I remember... Um, talking to him and he it didn't require me to get baptized to join the church but he wanted to know if I wanted to get baptized and I was like but I don't if I don't need to do it to get joined why do I have to do that you know what I mean and then I started realizing more and more like I need a relationship with Christ it's not a relationship with a building you know what I mean and showing up on Sunday mornings and so at 26 years old I was immersed Again, and I decided to make Amen. that decision to be rebaptized, and uh, and it was yeah, it was, it, and it was it was cool to be able to to do that on my own and um, and make that decision on my own. Thanks to my wife guiding me to the church, but me making that decision and having that relationship on my own. And I'll tell you guys um, before we get into the doing part, I always just grew up thinking good people were fine. You know what I mean? I just thought like if you're good, like if you do good stuff and you listen to your parents and you don't like curse too much and you don't like break laws too much like there's always somebody who's doing something worse you know what I mean like like I'm gonna be okay right like God's gonna look out for me and I'm gonna be okay and good people but like there are a lot of good people who don't know Jesus mm -hmm. and like that's sad yeah, you know it makes me really really sad to know that and stuff and I actually there's a song I always like quote a song um uh, by Josh Bates it's uh called never give up um and um and uh, it's, it's a song that, there's a line in that that says, uh, you were running, to, he's talking about God, obviously, um, uh, you were running to me as I was running away. And it makes me think about that because it's like, man, how long was I running away from Christ? And I thought all along like, man, like if I was younger, back like 15 years ago, I would look at somebody like Dan McClish and I'd say, man, Dan McClish, like Christ is right there with him, God's right there with him, but I'm like, 
I want to get to their side. God was right there with me too. I just Amen. was running away from him. Amen. And that's what I mean. So I, I like now realize God was always there. I mean, how patient was he to be right there through all that time? And then I finally rebaptized, if you want to call it that. I call it baptized, getting Amen. baptized Amen. at age 26. And so, so I say, I just think about that is that like we could be running away from him and he's like still right there. I mean, how patient. So, so that's how I started understanding it, thanks to my beautiful wife and also really making decisions and getting that relationship with Christ. And, and, and again, like the, the doing, and, and right. I mean, I've known you for a while, so I know you're, you're living out your faith and walking it more and more all the time. How has that impacted your life? How has that impacted your joy? How has it you changed your satisfaction level and your, yeah. your, your fulfillment, would you say? Yeah, we, we, there's like things that my wife and I like, you know, did that we're not proud of many years ago that now we think about and we're like, we're so glad we don't do, we're like so much happier that we don't do those things and aren't like bogged down by that pressure and that sort of thing as well. And it started making me think, yeah, Steve asked like, what are we doing like differently now? And, and you know, I can tell you guys, we're still screwing up a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I mean like, and more me than Julie. Um, so, so thanks Jules. But, uh, but uh, um, we're still screwing up a lot and stuff. But like, you know, we decided to like make some lifestyle changes. You know what I mean? We like realized like, this is gonna be hard, but like, we're gonna have to like start watching. And maybe it's little things, little things that some people like watching our language or doing certain things like that. But there's bigger things that we had to do like, you know what? There's this thing called a Bible that we have the opportunity that sits on our coffee room table all the time and goes unopened. Why don't we read it? Because apparently there's some really big message in there and we need to read that as well. Prayer became really big. I mean, I can't tell you guys, the only prayer I ever did growing up was the prayer at the dinner table that I can still recite because we said the exact same prayer and occasionally my dad would let me pray, but it was like I had to get it word for word as the one he did the night before. And I'll tell you guys, we just visited my folks this past weekend with the kids and we did the same prayer again. Like, <laughs> the same prayer again, which like I said, I love them. It's just, you know, but prayer became big for us. Watch Julie pray with Cameron, watching Cameron pray at the table, a four-year-old, and like hearing what he says, hearing him ask the questions, Julie and I praying together as husband and wife without our children around, praying together, all four of us. Caroline can't speak yet except for, she does say dada, which is awesome. Um, but, uh, um, so dada, she's talking about that dada, right? So, no, but, uh, um, but, so she'll eventually be praying as well, but like putting that in our household and making sure that's happening, and then, um, and then eventually, this is something Julie and I really want to do more of, but serving. And, and I mentioned this at the first service, serving doesn't have to be picking up trash off a street, you know what I mean? And if people are doing that, thank you, that's needed, but um, there's a lot more serving going on, and we want to teach our kids, you know, about serving, and we want them to be serving, and we want them to inspire us to serve. And I know our kids are only four, and our kids are only 15 months old, but I mean, like, eventually they're going to be inspiring us, and we want to be able to do that because God's inspired us to serve as well. But uh, I'll tell you guys, the only thing, uh, you know, I'll leave with this, is that, like, uh, with this, the big thing that, like, I think has been the biggest joy has been the peace I feel with Amen. having Christ in my life. I'll tell you guys, I have this picture. I never told Julie this. So Julie, you can, this is good right here. Julie's like, I don't want to listen to Kemper talk on the microphone anyway. Um, but uh, I have this picture in my office and Julie knows about this picture because she like sets it up because I can't do anything electronically. Um, and there's this electronic photograph and this picture comes across every time and it's me laying on our living room floor, like laying out like Superman style. And Caroline's sitting on my shoulders, Cameron's sitting on my lower back and Julie's like sitting on my legs and they're all like kind of like, on me like a surfboard or something like that as well too. And I look at that, and before I knew Christ, that picture makes me think of all the weight that like, like I put a lot of the pressure of my family Amen. and being the spiritual leader of my family on my shoulders. And I always look at that picture and I think about that, 
but then I think about God's like underneath Amen. me. You know what I mean? Amen. Like I know it's the floor, but it's like, <laughs> but it's like move them and God can be anywhere. So, you know, like, and he's like underneath us. And it takes a lot when I think about that, like that gives me more peace that I know, Amen. like he has, he wants me to be the spiritual leader. He wants me to do things. He wants our family to do things, but it's not by our works. You know what I mean? That we get to, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's by Christ alone, by God, um, by God's grace. So I think about us, all of us, on top of his shoulders. Amen. Um, when I think about that, and that'd be a pretty cool picture in my office. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but right now, I think about it. So I, I think of that kind of joy, I guess, is what it is. What it is. I guess peace is what right, it brings right. me. So we're still working on it. We got a lot of work to do, but thanks to God's grace. Right. So, yeah, so, so is there more hearing and understanding and doing in your future? Yes, <laughs> there is. And, and awesome. thanks to Julie and I working on it together. Awesome. I mean, find people awesome. to work on it together, whether it's your spouse or friend or that sort of thing as well, too. For me, it's my best friend. is my wife. And so we work on it together. And uh, and we're inspired by our children. And um, yeah, so there's definitely more in our future. There's more work for us to do. But thanks to God's grace, Amen. you know, it's not by our works. He's just hopefully leading us to do something. Amen. So, Amen. So, cool. Thank you, my brother. Good stuff. No problem, man. Love you, man. Love you, man. Love you, man. Amen. Amen. And I would just like to just say one more quick thing about our God as we wrap up and kind of go back to that garden, you know, where man had messed up and God had to pronounce a punishment, but man had messed up and God comes looking, right? He calls. And where are you? Not because he didn't know where he was, but because Adam didn't know where he was. You see, when we disobey God, we kind of re relocate ourselves away from his love and his plan. And, but aren't you glad that we serve a God who calls out to us in our lostness and our, our disobedience? And then towards the end of that story, you know, I love it because you know, God breaks out his sewing machine. You know, Adam and Eve had tried to cover their shame themselves, right? And we can do that, right? Cover our shame with achievement, success, whatever. And, and, and so God breaks out his sew machine and he clothed them. You know, you know he could have condemned them. You know, he could have killed them, but he chose to clothe them. And that's where our God works. You see, our God loves to cover our shame so that we can stand unashamed in his presence. And you know what? Our, our God is still in the clothing business today. He's still sewing clothes today. He's still, he's still covering our shame today, you know. And one of my favorite verses has always been that verse in Galatians 3.27 where it says, For all those who were baptized into Christ have what? Have clothed yourself with Christ. Clothed yourself with his righteousness. It's his blood that covers us. And that's the kind of guy we serve. We serve a God who wants to give us life. We have an enemy that wants to take it away, so we're going to fight for it. But because of God's great love for us is why we can stand here today. We have a God that chases us and pursues us with his love because the story is about God's passionate pursuit of a prodigal people. Would you stand and pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you, and we're in all of you. We're in all of your love for us, God. God, thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for covering our shame with your blood. And Father, I pray that right now, God, that we can just worship you right now, that we can just celebrate you. 
Uh, we can celebrate the intense love you have for us, the incredible life you want to give us. God, I thank you for you know, the people that gathered in that public square 2,500 years ago to hear your word, to understand your word, to, to live in your word, to, to walk in your truth. And God, I pray that if any of us know there's, there's something that you're wanting us to do, God, that we just obey you and allow your truth to change us, to transform us, and to bring us great, very great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.